This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. He has time, launches it to the end zone. Touchdown, Terrence Williams. Goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. He put, oh, he's going hard. Welcome everyone to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Ishmael Johnson, here in studio with producer Mal Pal. Mallory, how are you? Doing well. Glad to be here as always. Yeah. And Mike Craven. Mike, what is up, buddy? As little as possible. Yeah. You know, right? Kind of like in hibernation. <laughs> uh like a mixture between like bored and like i don't know what to do with my hands yeah yeah know? so we'll this, uh, this weekend was the first weekend in a while where you just got to just got to sit and watch games Enjoy. yeah i got back from longview coaching clinic or the piney woods coaching clinic like saturday at like noon yeah and so yeah games at 3 30 i got to watch six straight football games without Ooh, writing a single word that's nice i saw you post your uh your 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 fortune house meal yep yep <laughs> I, I ate saw those dumplings i got like 40 dollars worth of dumplings and <laughs> ate them for like four straight meals like, it was like <laughs> Lunch and dinner on two consecutive days. It I saw like those dumplings. Complete I bachelor like, life. I was like, that dude made a fortune house run. <laughs> oh man, a complete. And I like had it planned too. I like, I like told my mom the day before. You know, she was like, "What are you doing this weekend?" It's like I'm ordering a bunch of fortune house dumplings and watching NFL football games and probably losing some money gambling on them. Those, those, are, those are the things that are happening. So, I will but, say yeah, it's but, really nice to have everybody in studio, though. It feels oh, yeah. like a little bit more normal you oh, know yeah. and besides the football season that we were all in different places and had to zoom in or had to call craven and then it sounded weird and yeah. it's just really nice to have everybody back in studio oh yeah no seriously um i was gonna say oh yeah if, you, if you're in irving or around the irving area you should know a fortune house um uh, they're not sponsoring this but they have our <laughs> endorsement 100 that is some of those are some of the best dumplings i've ever had um if you're in the irving area you know i guess it's more las colinas area uh but still if you're around the area Come on now, make a trip down to Fortune House okay. because they will they will get my money any day. Yeah, so. DM me, I'll go with you. <laughs> Craven's been here for like not even half a year, not even like th- what? How many months have you been? Three, three, mo- three months, right? And he's eaten there already more than I have. <laughs> I don't, I don't eat, I don't eat out much. I'm yeah. cheap, right, so right, I mean, sure. but when you're by yourself, like, what? I'm not gonna go spend twelve dollars on dinner or whatever. Right. I've eaten out, I think, seven times, yeah, and four of them have been at Fortune House. <laughs> Hey, if you like so, it, you like it. I can make chicken. Right. Yeah, exactly. I don't know how to make no. dumplings. Right. Exactly. No, 100%, 100%. It is excellent. So uh, if they want to sponsor us, that'd be great. Um, hey, hey, on this podcast, we're all North Texas Honda dealers now. Oh, we, we can't, can't forget that. Well, I, mean, I guess that's true. You you can drive somewhere to go eat. Hey, with North yeah, I'll Texas take my Honda, Honda CRV dealers. up to Fortune <laughs> Let's go. Let's there go. you go. It all comes full I'm okay circle. with that. Uh, but so we've talked about in the last episode, or the previous episodes where, you know, this is the off season, not much is going on, especially until spring camp starts. And until then, and really until signing day too, like every coach is on the road trying to hit, hit the, hit the road hard for signing day to close, close big in February. So we're kind of in a, in a limbo area. And so we were thinking, it was like, ah, okay, we could do like postmortems of every team. Eh, you know, Craven's kind of doing that in article form already. We're kind of doing that on TFT. Okay. Well, what's something else we can do? Then Craven just said, what if we just, Got a bunch. See who we can get for interviews. <laughs> and I was like, "It's that simple." Sure. Yeah. Why not? Let's see. And we can gear an episode around that. And so, as you probably know from the podcast title, 
We got Sonny Dykes, mm-hmm. which is huge. We got the TCU head coach. We can, we can start there. Still um, feels weird saying that. <laughs> it feels weird that our first guest for our podcast will be the TCU head coach, Mike Craven, sat down with him. You'll hear it in a little bit. Um, it already kind of shows a difference in the environment at TCU. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There, there's not many ways. You, like, Sonny Dykes to Rhett Lashley isn't all that different personality-wise. Right. Um, you know, maybe Matt Wells to Joey McGuire is a pretty big personality change, but mm-hmm. just like – and this is not this is not good or bad, right? But like the personality change from Gary Patterson to Sonny Dykes is just just different. <laughs> it's just it's yeah. just absolutely different. I mean, Sonny Dykes is at a basketball game the other day telling students that they can just come to practice, right? It's just open, <laughs> that's wild, you know. And like that's that's absurd in modern day football. Like you just don't, you know. Lincoln Riley got mad at the student newspaper yeah, for being on top of yeah. a roof, you right? Know? <laughs> and so like it's it's kind of become this like state secret you know football is very insular and you're very paranoid and, and I, I think it's cool that Sonny's kind of walked into a place that's known as insular as any program in the state mm-hmm. and basically opened it up for business if you yeah. want to come over here and do a story on us do it mm-hmm. you know and I think that's smart uh, when you're in modern football with recruiting and the portal and just how much um, just kind of the outside perception of your program matters to kind of come in there and, and open it up and allow people to come in there and, and do what they want and, and enjoy it and be around it, I think is going to help TCU kind of build some momentum that maybe they haven't had the last few years. Yeah, and especially I think when, you know, Sunny, the Sunny Dykes hire was kind of a mixed bag, I think, when it came to TCU fans. I think it was like, you know, maybe they thought maybe they could aim a little higher. Maybe it was a little, I don't know, some people loved maybe taking the SMU head coach and somebody who was a proven commodity. But I think this is a way to get kind of everybody on your side, right, where it's like, Okay, well, let me show, like, if you're not sold yet, fair enough. Let me just show you, right? Here's things that are different, right? Here, let me, first he make, he hires a pretty good staff, very good recruiting staff, but then he starts to do things like that where, okay, we're going to have the fans more involved. We're going to be, I'm going to be more public facing. Like he is, and again, that's something Gary Patterson built over time is like the ability to not have to be <laughs> public facing mm-hmm. um, because he was winning and so successful. But Sonny, it's, it's, to me, it's, it's not, it's, Sonny Dykes knowing the environment he walked into where it was like, okay, I know the perception of this program. I know the perception of maybe this hire not being the dynamite hire everybody wanted, but here's some things that are going to be different around here. And I'm doing what I can right now to change your perception and change your opinion of me and this program. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's wild how, you know, we thought of some names and we're just like, Sonny would do this, right? And it was weird to be like, yeah, the TCU coach would do this. And yeah. so um, I mean, he spoke to me directly after the early signing period press conference yeah. to do the one-on-one with the story right, thing. Right. And then now this with the podcast. Really deal. Cool. Um, so yeah, I mean, you can tell, and I think some of it's when he talks about this in the interview a little bit, you know, he kind of came up around some like cavalier coaches. Yes. yes. You know, his dad was kind of known as a trailblazer and mm-hmm. is kind of a different, you know, not so, as old school as maybe some of the other coaches, you know, he would try different you things. Asked about, you'll, you'll Mummy, you, you asked about how you know, Mummy, Mike you know. Leach, those are the guys that kind of like helped him kind of get going in this industry. And, you know, he, I think he just had, he was a baseball player. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, with the offense that they run, it doesn't matter if you know 
what play. I mean, they're running the same 10 concepts and right. stuff like that. And so I think for him, he knows like keeping it behind the scenes isn't, isn't helping him at all. Yeah. Getting it out in front and getting students involved, getting alumni involved, getting the city of Fort Worth involved. That's going to pay off more than having a couple of guys there at practice and maybe seeing something that they probably don't even understand anyway. That's sure, what I've always sure, sure, never sure. understood about like closing off practices. <laughs> it's like, what is like, yeah, what, what, what is that doing? What does yeah. Joe Schmo know about right. your scheme? And there's like, three different options for every wide receiver and every single route. You know, it's so complicated. <laughs> you can't really figure it out. From what from what I remember, like Texas used to have open practices. Yeah. And you could go and watch like Roy Williams, BJ Johnson, Sloan Thomas go up against like Nathan Vasher, mm-hmm. Aaron Ross, all that kind of stuff. And then a guy got hurt. I can't remember the exact story, but a guy got hurt at practice and the parents found out about it on the internet mm-hmm. before like Coach Brown could like call them and say like, hey, your son hurt his neck right. in practice and he's on his way to the hospital mm. or whatever. Right. And so that kind of cut it off from there. But then I think once you kind of take stuff away, you never give it back. Mm-hmm. You never give that access back. So to start your tenure with this idea of like students come out and come watch us and be excited about this program. I think it's just, like you said, it's a very smart way to get everybody on mm-hmm. board and kind of going in the same direction. Yeah. And you know, this will be the first of a couple interviews, you know, I don't want to put a number on how many we'll get, but one of the things that I think we and you in particular wanted to hit on was, you know, we have an entire offseason to talk about quarterback battles. We have an entire offseason to talk about transfers and all this thing. We have a magazine that we're putting out mm-hmm. that's going to have all that info in it. You're going to not want, you're probably by May, you're not going to want to talk about depth charts at all until, yeah. <laughs> until August. Um, and so that's not what these interviews are about. These interviews are more about them as people and like their upbringings, their kind of coaching backgrounds. Um, if you've read Craven's features on any of these guys, you know, that's kind of what he's hitting at. It's kind of, it's not necessarily the on-field stuff because again, we have however many months until August to talk about that. Um, it's something else that you can come to these specific interviews for to be like, oh, that was something different that wasn't on, you know, college, you know, split zone duo or, you know, uh, uh, whatever else, you know, whatever else, uh, college football podcast you guys listen to, um, and so that's kind of the aim is for these, and we hope that we can continue to do them, and we hope that that's we can uh, it's something that you guys are going to enjoy listening to. Uh, before we get to that, though, there was some news <laughs> involving a Gary Patterson yesterday. Um, I like the way you phrase that. A, a Gary, Gary Patterson. Patterson. A Gary Patterson. <laughs> one Gary Patterson. Um, the one and only. <clears throat> he was spotted uh, at the Texas basketball game against Kansas State with Chris Del Conte wearing a Texas shirt. I believe Brian Davis of the Austin American Statesman uh, went to try to talk to him and he put on Twitter basically it was like he said nothing official yet fair enough it's a sta- you know he goes from a private institution to a public institution there's probably a lot of things he has to clear and all mm-hmm. that but he's more the, the, the it's the biggest open secret yeah. <laughs> I think in the state yeah. right now is that he's going to be a consultant in some way or an analyst or something on Steve Sarkeesian's staff. Special assistant to the head coach right yes going to be the title <laughs> right bro, yes assistant almost guarantee the- that <laughs> So, we are not even three months from him departing from TCU. I put on Twitter, very blatantly, got to take that statue down. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all got TCU, talking 10 years, but three months... And and That's I was wild. I was I'm also like a, an advocate of like they probably shouldn't have given him a statue anyway this soon, um, while he was still coaching because Gary Patterson's a very vindictive man, <laughs> and so the argument that I heard was well he got fired what does he owe them fair enough right he right. got fired right what does he owe That's them good point my counter to that would be well then what does TCU owe him 
in that's response true. to that. Yeah. That's true. I guess that just that just gets so messy. Oh, it does. It just gets it's so Gary, messy. That's the thing. Gary Patterson is a messy man uh-huh. for, what, for this. That's true. He's throwing the horns up. <laughs> Here, here's how I look at it, right? If you go into like my parents' house, you yeah. will see a wedding photo of like one of my cousins, right? And you will see me with the person that I'm no longer with. <laughs> But you can't just throw all that stuff away, you can't. right? You just you, you can't, can't forget, you, you know. Can't, it's, right? You uh, can't like well, throw it away. Every but, family, every family photo I've ever been in. But just put it in your like, back pocket, maybe. You know? also, take also, it down. Take about, it down. But put it. in I was your... about to say is like it's like I'm not saying tear. I'm not saying like you know like burn it to change, Like yeah. you know like taking the statue so down. Dumb, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying that. Like pull the ropes. No, I'm saying like get a little get a little mover. Whoop! Lift it up. Take it to the shed. Yeah. Whoop, put a little yeah. Ladanian Tomlinson statue in its place for a little bit. And then in ten, five years. When, when the Gary wound Patterson's has very, healed. Very yes. much not coaching your in-state <laughs> rival anymore. <laughs> then you'd be like, all right, here's the time when Gary Patterson's probably okay to like open up the door back for TCU. Because right now he probably wants to beat them by 40. Um, yeah. yeah. Just move the statue. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, that's for me. Because. I think uh, I think Parker Stats of War put it on Twitter. It was like, "There's a difference between Gary Patterson's tenure ended uh, didn't end the way it should have, versus he's throwing up the horns like down the road, uh, like a month later." Yeah, like if he's singing the eyes of Texas after Texas beats TCU in right. 2022 or something like <laughs> right. that. That's a weird optics yeah. situation. Le- if I'm honest, if he beats if he, if they beat them in 22, and he's probably leading the band, like yeah, the eyes of Texas. Somebody's got to. <laughs> so, just, uh, so so it did look weird. Yeah. I will say, it like when that weird. picture started With like the, going yeah, on the Twitter white, stuff, yeah, the yeah it was like seeing Gary Pat. Because in my mind, and I I don't know Gary Patterson enough to know if this is true or not, but right. it felt like beating Texas was. Like a yearly, like that was the goal. Oh, that yeah. was the mission. There wasn't many it was things when he they enjoyed more. Yeah, it was it was weird that they didn't do it this year. Right, like, <laughs> right. He like he geared up yes. to beat mm-hmm. Texas, and now he's got on Texas gear. Right, and so it was like a weird optical kind of like you had to like, oh, is this one of those photoshops where they right. just like change shirts of some, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. And so yeah, it was it was interesting. It was weird, but I do think it's smart by UT. Oh my god, who yes. knows more about the Big Twelve than Gary Patterson? 100%. Yeah, I mean. And and when you watch Texas last year, specifically on defense, it felt like a coaching staff that wasn't aware of what the Big 12 actually is, Mm -hmm. that they were coaching the stereotype of the Big 12 two two high safeties. They're just going to pass the ball a lot. Well, the best teams in the Big 12 are running the football. This right. is Oklahoma State and Baylor. This is a running conference nowadays. I think Gary Patterson can come in there and clean some of that up on top of the self-scouting. So I think it's a smart move by Texas, but but like you, it's one of those – it's just kind of a weird thing right now. I mean, you got an analyst at UT basically with a statue outside of TCU Stadium. and I mean, that's just – it's an awkward kind of weird deal. And I, I asked yeah. Sonny about this in the interview. Yeah. I was like – you know, because he was there as an analyst in 2017 when he sure. got let – let go by Cal. Yeah. And uh, I jokingly was like, so what's it like being in Gary Patterson's office? You know, because <laughs> yeah. like it's Gary Patterson's office to everybody. Yeah. And it has yeah. been for 20 years, you know? So like, you know, people have to be like, oh no, it's in Gary's office back there. You know, like it's still <laughs> right, right, still, happening. yeah. So yeah, it's just, you know, and that's, that's what happens when breakups after 20 something years happen. There's mm-hmm. going to be some awkwardness and weirdness specifically when the coach isn't done. Yeah. Like Gary Patterson isn't done coaching football. Right. And that's going to make things a little interesting and weird over the next four or five years, no matter how it turns out. Sure. I think the, the, the la- I think the thing that really cemented it for me was I tried to picture another coach worthy of a statue in the state doing the same thing. Right. Does Mac Brown consult for tech? You know, does RC Slocum 
consult because I don't want to go Texas A&M because that's uh, TC, TCU and Texas aren't like that, right? right. Um, but like, does RC Slocum consult for Baylor? You know, like I just don't. That's my thing. Yeah. And you know, uh, everybody, you know, he's free to do what he wants. And Texas is very, like you said, very damn smart to, and apparently mm-hmm. is in play for a, a former TCU player that we'll t- we can probably talk about after the interview as well um, uh, in the transfer portal. So, but. We're not going to talk anymore. We're going to let you guys listen to the interview. We'll come back with some questions, just kind of talk about uh, some light questions uh, about the offseason for TCU. And Mallory, I believe, has some as well. So uh, without further ado, Mike Craven one-on-one with Sonny Dykes, TCU head coach. So here with TCU head coach Sonny Dykes. Uh, First, Coach, I want to walk you through, you know, you're the son of legendary head coach Spike Dykes, obviously. Uh, you were born when he was at Alice High School, or Big Big Spring, I'm sorry, then Alice High School, then he was an assistant at Texas, an assistant at New Mexico, Mississippi State, Midland Lee, and then Texas Tech, and that's before you even graduated high school. So what I would like to know is how much did all of those moves kind of shape your personality and maybe impact your kind of young life? Yeah, you know, I, th- I think quite a bit, actually. I think um... – you know, my, my kids are going through some of that right now. I've got a 13-year-old daughter, and hers her situation is really pretty similar to mine. She was born in Tucson, Arizona, and then moved to Ruston, Louisiana, and then moved to Berkeley, California, and then moved to Fort Worth, and then moved to Dallas, and is now moving back to Fort Worth. And so, you know, I think when you move around as much as – She's, she has, or as much as I did, you know, I think it's, um, you know, you've got to, you've got to learn how to kind of adjust and you got to learn how to figure things out on your own. And, and uh, you know, and I think you, you learn it at a very young age. And so I think in a lot of ways, it's great preparation really for the rest of your life and, and dealing with things that you have to deal with. And, you know, you kind of, like I said, you kind of got to figure stuff out on your own when you're really young, whether it's, you know, how to get along with people at school or, you know, how to be able to adjust to different cities or, you know, different situations within those cities that you live in. And, um, and so, you know, cause every place is unique and different has strengths and weaknesses and, and all the things that are associated with, with moving, but it's, you know, it certainly had an impact on my life. And, you know, I think it, um, it's funny when I got into the business of coaching, one of the things I wanted to do was not move. Um, and so, uh, you know, I was going to go to a, take a high school job and really just stay there for a long time and try to kind of, uh, you know, sit there and, and, you know, kind of work my way up. Um, and so that was my intent. And then of course I took the just exact opposite approach and ended up moving a bunch in my career, but, but hopefully, you know, we're here to stay and, and, you know, my intent is for this to, to be the last move that any of us have to make. Kind of found a little bit of, of a home there. I love the Coronado and then it, uh, attending Texas Tech to play baseball. Like you said, we've talked before and you said your goal was just to become a high school coach. Uh, we, you had mentioned kind of South Lake Carroll, maybe being a, a potential uh, landing spot for you. This is one of my all time favorite stories. So do you mind kind of walking us through, kind of why you ended up at Navarro Junior College instead? Yeah, yeah, it's funny because I'd been a year at Richardson Pierce and was teaching five sophomore English classes. And so I was spending a lot more time, you know, teaching Romeo and Juliet than I was coaching football. Um, 
and, and so that was, you know, I, I really enjoyed the classroom part of it, but, but, you know, five classes a day with 30 kids in every class, that was a lot of, a lot of time devoted to teaching and not as much devoted to football. And so, you know, um, at that point I'd like, I was going to go to South Lake and I went over and watched the practice. A guy named Larry Keck had gotten hired as the offensive coordinator and, you know, Larry was a real innovative coach and had been the offensive coordinator the year before at Ole Miss and they'd thrown for a bunch of yards and he was kind of a run and shoot guy and I was interested in learning, you know, the run and shoot, some of the intricacies of the passing game and all that. So long story short, I, I go out to Navarro, I watch him practice and and uh and end up, you know, meeting with the head coach, uh, whose name was Keith Thomas at the time and you know, and Keith sat me down and we started talking about what the job entailed and, you know, how much, how much it paid and all this. And, you know, he told me, he said, Hey, look, it's a 10 month contract. You got, you know, you're going to live in the dorm for free and you get all your meals paid for and we'll pay you $4,000. And, and so, you know, I immediately said, well, okay, you know, four, 4,000 times 10 is $40,000. And you know what, that's not bad, especially when I'm getting my meals paid for and living for free in the dorm. Well, turns out it was four thousand dollars a year not a month so i got my first paycheck and it's 288 dollars and i was a little shocked um you know once that happened my car payment was 250 so i had you know 38 dollars left over for the rest of the month um but that's that's kind of how i ended up at navarro had a great experience really learned how to coach football there and you know the great thing about junior college is you get to recruit guys and you know people come recruit your, your school as well so you have an opportunity to watch and learn, you know, how to do it and how not to do it. And, and uh, so it was a really good experience for me from that perspective, but it was kind of a, kind of a funny story. And I was in such demand. I stayed two years. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's, I, I know $36,000 can depend, it can mean different amounts at different times in your life, but I'd imagine at that time that 36 grand was everything. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, having $38 left over at the beginning of every month ain't exactly what I was planning for. You know what I mean? I thought, I thought I might have a little bit more than that. So, but it's just kind of, just kind of the way it is sometime in coaching. And, you know, it's funny. People talk all the time about, you know, how much money coaches make and, and, um, you know, and every single coach I've ever dealt with has a similar type of story. I mean, yeah. you don't get in this profession to make money. You know, there's, there's, you get in it because you love the game and you love young people and, you know, you hope someday you can make something, at least be able to pay the bills. And, um, you know, that's really why you get in. You end up in 1997 becoming a graduate assistant at Kentucky. How Mummy's the head coach there. Um, can, you, can you describe or even put into words kind of his impact on not only you, but just college football or football in general and the way it's played now? Yeah, I mean, look, that was obviously the move uh, for me, you know, in, in my career was to go work for Hal. And I was, you know, Mike Leach's graduate assistant in 97 and, you know, worked directly with Mike. Um, yeah, look, I mean, I learned a lot about, you know, about the game of football. And obviously the, you know, the air raid was Hal's baby. And so we had a, you know, it was a great experience. I mean, it really was. I mean, it's hard to, you know, really put into words what that meant, you know, for my career and really what that did to college football. I mean, it changed everything, you know. And I remember I took the job 
and you know got there and we were started a game plan a little bit in the summer and just watching you know how he did things and his approach and you know the way everything was organized it was really really interesting and you know it was really made sense you know it was very simple you know Hal was a big believer in execution over scheme you know I think somehow people think air raid is more of a scheme and it's really a more of a, a way of thinking about you know your style of offense and how you're going to play it's really a, a school of thought probably as much as it is anything else and so you know it was a really really cool experience for us and for me and you know I got to be part of I think changing not only college football, but the way the game's played at every single level. Um, you know, we went there in 97 and started throwing the ball around in the Southeastern Conference and had some success. And then, you know, I was fortunate enough to catch on with Mike at, uh, you know, Texas Tech in 2000 and kind of be part of that whole thing that took place there. You know, just, uh, you know, going into the Big 12 and the way that that league changed and all the stuff that he did you know, at Texas Tech was pretty special as well. So really blessed and fortunate to work with those guys and just how creative they were and how innovative they were. It really taught me a lot about the game of football and, you know, as I said, about how important players are and not plays and, you know, the, the importance of being able to execute in terms of, you know, instead of, instead of you know, having a hundred different calls, we were just real simple and we were really good at what we did and, it allowed us to move the football and score some points. You know, you, you mentioned it. You moved to Texas Tech with Mike Leach. That 2003 kind of coaching staff and team, like I feel like it's going to be like those Iowa, you know, like the team photo for Iowa back in the day where it had like all the, the tree limbs, you know, from it. Like Art Bryles was the running back coach. Dana Holgerson, outside wide receiver. Lincoln Riley, Dave Aranda, Bill Bedenball, GAs. Cliff Kingsbury, Graham Harrell, Sonny Cumbie, quarterbacks on that roster. I, I mean, I guess when you're when you're in that moment and you're around all of those type of guys with all these like offensive minds and stuff like that, how much of the competition was like inside of that room as much as it was outside of them? You know, that's a good question. Um, you know, there was um, there was obviously a lot of bright people there. You know, and the great thing about Mike was he, you know, he would, he kind of knew what he wanted to do, but he always was open to having a debate, really about anything. <laughs> and so, you know, whether the sky was blue <laughs> or, you know, what what do we need to add or what do we need to subtract from our offense? And, and so it was, it was, we had some very lively conversations through the years, just about, about everything, you know, from practice organization to, to, you know, recruiting, to managing players, to the, you know, to obviously the scheme and the thing and how we did things and why we did things. And, you know, the thing I always really admired about Mike was he was never uh, afraid to try something different. You know what I mean? I mean, he was, he was fearless. He, um, it didn't matter what people thought, um, you know, he believed, you know, he thought, look, if this is going to work, we're going to do it. I don't care what anybody else thinks. And so a lot of the stuff that's, starting to happen now you know mike was doing it 20 years ago you know yeah. he we were doing a lot of the analytics stuff before it was called analytics you know it was at that time it was kind of a, a gut feeling you know we were going for it early in ball games on fourth and one 
you know, in our own 30-yard line. And at the time, nobody else in college football was doing that. And, and now you see a lot of people doing it, and you see it on Sundays in the NFL now. And as I said, that was 20 years ago. And so Mike was really forward-thinking in his approach and the way he approached the game. And it really began at that spot that I described earlier, the spot of not being afraid. You know, he didn't care what anybody said about him. He didn't care about what people thought. He didn't care about, you know, the typical conventions of college football. He was trying to find a, a better a better way to build a mousetrap. And, and and so because of that, you know, we all we had a lot of conversations and you know, there was a lot of talk and and, you know, really interesting perspectives on things. And so it was it was a fun place to be a young football coach and I think we all learned an awful lot from our experience there and our time there. You know, I've never thought about this, but it dawns on me, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but your your dad always seemed to me to be an old-school defensive coach. Like, he was the D.C. at Tech before he was the head coach. What did he kind of think about this new school of offense that you were attaching yourself to? Kind of what were his initial thoughts of, like, of just the offensive philosophy and some of the things that y'all were doing? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. My dad was kind of forward-thinking, too, on a lot of stuff. You know, he kind of fit that old-school mentality in a lot of ways. I think just, you know, his approach to the game in some ways, you know, he was kind of a defensive coach, as you said earlier. But he was he was pretty creative and pretty innovative, and so he recognized it early. I can remember, you know, when he was still coaching at Texas Tech, he would watch some of our games in Kentucky. He'd be like, how in the world are you guys doing this? I don't really understand it, but I know this, you're beating people – that you shouldn't be beating. And so he recognized it. And, you know, when I became a head coach, I think it drove him crazy sometimes. Um, you know, there were times when, as I said, you know, in 2010, we were going for it on fourth down a lot. And, uh, you know, when I was at Louisiana Tech, and sometimes I think he thought I was nuts. But I think he did recognize it, and I think he did say, look, there's there's a, a place for this in the game. And, you know, he, he, he was always open to – to thinking outside the box as well. Um, and so, as I said, I mean, he he kind of – he understood what we were doing. And he didn't always agree with it, but he understood that it was different and it was unique and that, um, you know, it allowed us to be successful at times when we probably shouldn't have been. You know, when we had a, maybe a talent disadvantage, um, you know, we could do some things to, to normalize the playing field a little bit and equalize the playing field and um, – you know, I think he, he recognized that a lot of the things that we did, you know, could pay off. You go off to Arizona as an OC for a couple of years, and then you get your first head coaching job at La Tech in, in 2010. Um, I've asked you this before, but I just find this fascinating, like the idea of being a first-year head coach. I mean, you've been around your dad, Hal Mummy, Mike Leach. Like, how prepared are you for that job, and just, like, how different is being a head coach than what, you think it is before you get the job yeah I think you know um, I don't think you really ever understand exactly everything that it entails just from the standpoint of you know you just have to wear so many different hats as a head coach Um, you know and there's so many things that happen to you every single day and most of them aren't good and you have to be able to deal with that I think that's the, the biggest thing is that there's just so much that comes at you every day I mean you got you know, 30, 40 people working for you, you know, in, in the building uh, between, you know, support staff and training staff and strength and conditioning staff and, 
you know, just all the, the people that are here. And then, you know, all of them have issues and problems. And then you've got, you know, 135 players, all of them have issues and problems. And, you know, everybody's going through something. And so as a result, you know, you're responsible for all those people in, in a strange sort of way. And, you know, and as a result, there's five or six major issues every single day that you have to be able to deal with. And none of the stuff's going to go the way you want it to. Um, and I think as a young coach, sometimes that really can be hard to deal with. Um, and it's hard to kind of rationalize that in some ways. But the older you get, and the longer you do it, you just understand that goes with the territory. You just understand every single day you're going to show up and there's going to be four or five things that go, that go bad. And how you deal with those things is going to really honestly determine how successful you are, whether it's, you know, players getting in trouble or recruiting or academic issues or, you know, staff issues or, you know, trying to hire the right people and, you know, just make, make very important decisions. You know, all those things are just going to, uh, it's not going to go like you want it to. And you have to be able to understand that, move forward, be able to adjust and, and, you know, and figure out how to, you know, get through the day and try to make sure that, at the end of that day, your football program is better than it was at the beginning of the day. Just kind of keep inching forward. Make sure that you don't take any steps backwards. And, and you know, all those things are hard things to do. And as I said, the, the biggest thing is just having to, to deal with issues that you don't ever envision. You know, um, when I was at Louisiana Tech, we had a player that, that passed away, had a medical issue and passed away. And, you know, and you don't ever envision, you know, having to tell his parents that that's happened to him. And, that's something that I had to do as a head coach. And, you know, there's just things like that that happen to you that you don't ever expect that to happen. And you have to be able to, you know, to get through that. Now from law tech, you go to Cal in 2013. I, I personally can't imagine places that are much different from each other than Ruston, Louisiana and Cal Berkeley. Just how was that? How was that? Yeah, you know what? It was different. Uh, I knew it was going to be different. It ended up being probably a little bit more different than I thought. Um, you know, Cal's a great place. I mean, it's a fantastic school. Um, you know, un unbelievable tradition at that school, unbelievable accomplishments at that school. Um, you know, there's just a lot of accomplished, successful people associated with that university. Um, you know, they've done some really remarkable things. So it's a, it's a really cool place to be it's a difficult place to be the head football coach you know there's just a lot of there's just a lot of potential landmines you know that you have to kind of deal with every single day um you know there's it's a it's a it's a tough place to go to school i mean it's a lot for your players you know to, to get an education i mean it's very competitive um it's a very difficult school you know, your, your guys have to work really, really hard in the classroom to, to be successful. Um, you know, we had some recruiting restrictions that, you know, were probably a little more difficult to deal with than I thought they would be, um, uh, you know, that, that made it, made it tough. Uh, but at the same time, it's a, it's a beautiful place and a unique place. Um, you know, the thing that makes football in the South so special is just the, uh, there's just a love and a, and a universal love and appreciation for the game and what it does for young people. And I think in some ways there's a level of skepticism uh, in, in California and especially in Northern California about football and about football coaches and about football players. And I don't really know why it just seems like it's there. And in some ways that made the job tough, but it, 
it was a great place. I learned a lot. I had a, an incredible experience. I got to do some things and see some things and be a part of some things I never thought I would see or have an opportunity to be a part of. Uh, so from that perspective, it was a heck of a move. Um, you know, like as I said, just from an experience standpoint. And then you, you come to TCU originally as an offensive analyst there in 2017. Um, I hope you take this question as a joke the way it's intended, but so how weird is it to now be in Gary Patterson's office? You know, like I feel like that's got to, like a lot of people still have to be calling it that at this point. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely strange. I mean, look, you know, uh, obviously, you know, Gary, I get a lot of respect for Gary. Um, you know, Gary is a, a friend of mine. There's nobody that respects the job that he did here more than I did. I just got, I got to see it up close and personal, you know, and, and, you know, that, that's made it a little bit strange being here just because of that. But at the same time, it's made it exciting to be here just because, you know, he raised the bar for this program. You know, he took over, you know, this program when people, you know, Dennis Francione got it on the, got it on the tracks, got it headed in the right direction. And Gary continued to elevate it and got it to one of those elite level football programs. And he made it what it is today. I mean, it's uh, it's an incredible university, an incredible place to work. I mean, fantastic facilities. The buy-in here from, you know, really the chancellor level down is um, as good as anywhere in the country. You know, we got an outstanding athletic director. We got boosters that are very, very supportive of our program. Uh, we got great fans. You know, and and the best thing that we have going for us is we got a recruiting base you know, that, that allows us to, to recruit DFW at a high level. And, you know, and if you can recruit DFW at a high level, then you can be a very successful football program. So we have everything that, that you want to have here. And really, a lot of that exists because of Coach Patterson and the work that he put in and, you know, what he did uh, for this university and for this football program. And then lastly for me, I mean, obviously you, you go from SMU to TCU, um, you know, it's just across town. Those two teams play each other, and they've played each other for, you know, 100, 100 different times now at this point. Just what, are the, what do you think the emotions will be for you September 24th when, you know, you're coaching a different team in, in SMU Stadium, you know, and you've been the head coach there for a couple of years? Yeah, I mean, look, that's – that's going to be hard. I think, I think in our profession, as much moving around as you do, um, you know, places really aren't that big of a deal. It's more about the players, you know, and, and that's going to be the hard thing for me is, is, you know, playing against guys that that I recruited, uh, that we all recruited and guys that you invested in and, you know, that you, you love them like they're your own kids. Um, and so that, that to me is the, the most difficult part of it. Um, you know, from, from a school standpoint, it's just kind of another school. And again, I don't get me wrong. I loved my time at SMU. I mean, I think it was the most fun that I've ever had coaching. I really enjoyed being in Dallas. I enjoyed our, and, you know, in Korea, we created a vision for the program and it was fun to see it, to put that plan into action and to see it come to fruition. Um, you know, there was just a lot of things here. we got a lot of close friends that were there. Uh, it's just a fantastic place to live. Our kids, you know, had a great experience. My wife, Kate, really liked our time there. But at the same time, you know, it was kind of ready for – we were ready for a new challenge. We were ready for something a little bit different. We were kind of ready to take that next step. 
and you know and coach at the highest level against the best competition and and you know and we wanted to do it in Dallas Fort Worth which is an area that we love we wanted to make sure that we had a chance to stay in Texas and you know have access to all the players that we have access to in DFW and you know that part was so important to us and it was just one of those opportunities that came along that was too good to pass up um but yeah look it's going to be hard you know coaching against the players um again just because those are guys that you know that you that you love you love them like they're your own kids i mean you know you sold them on a vision and they they uh they bought into it and they listened and they did everything you asked them to do and so that part that part will be difficult and but at the same time you know i'll have a job to do and i'll be focused on my team and you know, and hopefully we'll go, you know, play our best football. Coach, I really appreciate the time and the conversation, sir. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. I hope it wasn't too boring, uh, but I appreciate you guys thinking of me and look forward uh, to seeing you soon. All right, Coach, I really appreciate it. And we're back. Man, that was cool. <laughs> I liked it. It was fun. It, it was fun. It, I – See, I I'm one of those. I'm more interested in people than than in football. Mm. Like it's January, yeah, right? Like well, there's like eight months until the football happens. I mean, I guess we have spring in between then and stuff like that. But I, I don't really care what the linebacker position looks like right now because right. with the transfer portal and all that kind of stuff, who you knows what it. it's going to look like come three months? You know. But I like to know. Like I I enjoy the human pieces that like the the human interest pieces that sports kind of bring about and Sonny's lived a crazy life how many people were raised by one of the most legendary coaches in the state who grew up in, in football culture but that didn't play football right mm-hmm. and then is now you know the head coach at SMU and then TCU and uh, he just has a to me has a pretty fascinating story and all these coaches do to get to this t- to get to this level to reach those kind of heights you have to have kind of lived a pretty interesting life. And that that's what I hope we can do with these interviews is kind of like figure out who they are and how they got there more so than like, but what do you think about your secondary in right. 2022? And the know? other thing yeah. is like Sonny, like Sonny hasn't like, he's obviously watched this team on tape and all this stuff, but he's not really know these guys right. yet. Like right. on the field, like he's like, I don't know. Duggan's a cool guy. <laughs> like he's right. probably, that's probably like the most interactions he's had with them is not. And neither do their fans either. Neither yeah. do TCU fans. I mean, just me being a fan of a of a certain team, I want to know about my coach. Right. You know, I yeah. want to know not just about what this next season's going to look like, or, like or a recap of last season. I want to know how they got to where they are today. Mm-hmm. You know, and Who is in, this in guy? depth. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I think the most fascinating thing he told me because a lot of it I knew. Yes. Uh, but the most fascinating thing he said to me was about. SMU just being another school, mm-hmm. you know, when mm-hmm. I asked him about, you know, it, to him, it was about the players and it's going to be hard to coach against the players he recruited to SMU, but it won't be hard to coach against SMU because when, like we've talked about when you're raised by a football coach, who's moved 10 different times. Mm-hmm. And now you're a head football coach. Who's had to move 10 different times to get there. They're just schools. Right. We're just playing against a uniform, you know, and you can be grateful and happy and love your time there, but you got a job to do. Well, here's, yeah. the, here's the thing I didn't realize. Like, he's only 52, right? Um, he just turned 52. LaTeX, Cal, T- SMU, TCU, four head coaching jobs by the age of 52. That's a like that's a lot of jumping around mm-hmm. for that young and like again the Cal thing didn't work out and that's kind of, that could be like a career killer for a lot of coaches right but he bounced back really quickly but that's four pretty good gigs like those aren't like you know small fishes right those are really brand names and so 
I didn't realize. I guess I never realized how young he really was to have that resume already. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you know, go go coming up. His last name helps. Yes, of course. Get him, sure. get him in the door, sure. and then you're kind of on the front foot of that air raid. You know, like he, mm-hmm. he's in. You know, we talk about Mike Leach and other guys a lot more than we do about Sonny Dykes in terms mm-hmm. of his offensive like acumen and stuff like right. that. But he's been around the most influential offensive minds in college football, maybe arguably just like football in general over the last 20, 30 years, over, at least in this century. Sure. And so I think that got him in the door first. And if you look at it individually, like if you're at Law Tech and you start having success, Cal comes calling, you're going to take that job. Sure. You get fired from Cal uh, because it doesn't work out. He talked a little bit about kind of the frustrations of being a football coach at Cal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then SMU comes around, and so you take that job, yep. right? Why wouldn't you take that job? Right. And then SMU gets left out of the conference realignment stuff to where – now you have an opportunity to go coach the Big 12 at a place you've been and know some people and kind of understand what it's like there in a city that's just next to where you're living now. Mm-hmm. Like, it all makes sense, right? Yep. He's not mm-hmm. just jumping to jump. Right, right. Exactly. Uh, if you look at it individual, individually, I think, you know, they're all they're all jumps that make sense or moves that, that, have, that have made sense. Uh, and I do feel like this one could be a job he's at for a while. 100%. If everything goes well, yes. right? If everything goes well, as like, planned, I think it's somewhere he can be there for a decade or so. And that's what TCU wants. They mm-hmm. wanted somebody after Gary Patterson that could come in and also give them some stability. Yes. Well, like if SMU got to the Big 12, he probably could have been there. Right. For a yeah. While. Like, you know, he is, like you mentioned, he is not, it's not like a, you know, he's kind of in the news now. He's not like a Todd Graham or he's going to leave after a year, right? And like, you know, try to get, you know, kind of uh, what's a careerist move, right? It's not, that's not him. It, he's definitely like, looking for avenues to have successful programs. And when SMU got left out, it became like, all right, there's a, there's kind of a ceiling here. So um, I definitely do think he is that type of coach where if it works out, he's there for double-digit years. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if he could retire there, I think I think would be his preference. Obviously, I don't think any coach – very few coaches take a job thinking, well, I'm going to leave in two years, you know? Like a lot of people are like, I hope to retire here. Like <laughs> if we strike gold here, you know, I'm set. Right. So. I mean, I feel like that's your, your – kind of goal as a sure. head coach is to to make it to that power five level and be a head coach and be, to, be, you know? to be a gary patterson be comfortable to be yes. it right to be a legend there yeah. and, and to make a difference in, in the long term so so do we uh mallory do we have some questions yeah we'll dig more into i guess technical football now sure yeah. so our first question we have you know with max duggan coming back for another season will mm-hmm. sunny ducks go with him as the starter or is he going to be more fluid in that position, maybe going with a Chandler Morris or even a transfer? You know, a, a thing that is true throughout Sonny Dykes' career is that he can find quarterbacks in the transfer portal. I mean, even back in his Arizona days, they got Nick Foles through the transfer portal. I forgot about that. Um, mm-hmm. And then Shane Bouchelle, obviously, at SMU. Uh, and then T- Tanner Mordecai, Mordecai last year at SMU. So I don't know if the qu- the starting quarterback is on the roster. I think Max Duggan mm-hmm. is pretty good. He started sure. 29 of the last 32 games at, at TCU. I don't – it's hard to know how much of that – the struggles in the passing offense were about kind of the handcuffs placed on the offense by Gary Patterson and just mm-hmm. his style of play. He's not, he didn't want to be a guy that threw the ball 40, 50 times a game. Sure. Right? He's a defensive guy who doesn't really believe in, in that style of offense as much. So does Sonny Dyke see Max Duggan this spring and go, oh, wow, we can throw the ball 40, 50 times with this guy if we need to. He can put up big numbers. Or does that offense lend itself more to a Chandler Morris or is there a name out there that we we just don't know yet where the transfer portal comes into play? And I think that's what makes 
projecting these teams into 2022 so hard mm-hmm. is at the early signing day press conference, Sonny Dykes said he's, he's planning on getting 20, 30 guys yeah. through the portal that are new. And so what this roster looks like right now may not be what this roster looks like in July. I have a hard time believing Max Duggan isn't the starting quarterback in 2022, though. Same. Yeah. I, I think looking at the – especially I'm looking at the names now for the transfer portal, I don't see many names that I would take over him. Because, um, like, uh, you know, the big names are obviously off the board. They were obviously – I think Quinn Ewers took a visit there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, you know, Jackson Dart's not going to TCU. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't uh, – Keaton Slovis already committed. So, like, you know, I'm looking down the names, and I'm like, I don't know the names that are available – I would sure for sure take over Max Duggan um, or, or even taking a shot on Chandler Morris. And so maybe they add somebody for depth, but as far as like competing for the starting job, I can't say that I, I think it is one of those two. And I think it does lean Max Duggan because, you know, yeah, I, I think the, the, the system thing is a good idea is a good point where it's like, maybe Sonny Dyke sees him. He's like, oh yeah, no, that dude can play. Just put him in my system. Like, mm-hmm. you know, just put the, just put the right guys around him. And Cause he did that stay. with Bouchelle and Mordecai. Yeah. yeah. You know, he's taking, like, I mean, like, it's not like Mordecai was this guaranteed. Well, he, like it wasn't, it's not even like Bouchelle was this guaranteed. Yeah. Bouchelle looked like to me, it looked like he hit a ceiling at Texas at times. Right. That's why Sam overtook him. Where it was like, offense just works with Sam. Is, is this, is Shane Bouchelle really that good? And it was like, Oh no, it was just the fit. Like he didn't yeah. fit Tom Herman. So he went over here. So I, I agree. I think it is just, he, he could see, and I think Chandler Morris could work too, right? I just think Duggan has the experience over him. But well, didn't um, he do that with uh, Mordecai and then that other Highland Park Highland Park quarterback this past year? Well, Preston Stone. Was Preston Stone. Oh, oh, not yeah, pre- not Highland Park. Uh, 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 Parish Episcopal. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So, I mean, side note: I was surprised. You know what I thought would happen? I thought Preston Stone would transfer to TCU. I, I think yeah. Rhett Lashley keeping Preston Stone yeah. inside that's, that's at coup. SMU that's a huge <laughs> is a recruiting win that doesn't get talked about enough because it's not technically a recruiting win, but it, in today's football, that absolutely was. Preston Stone yeah. was a, like a uh, kind of a huge staple of like what that T- SMU program was doing at the time. Was yep. like we can keep a guy here, an elite re- recruit, yeah. and beat other big time programs and make him say, "No, I'm good here." So. Um, but yeah, no, that that you're, that's a good point. I'm surprised that they could, didn't uh, they probably try to make a run at Preston Stone, mm-hmm. but the fact that he stayed is pretty massive. Yeah. Up next, uh, we got to talk about two of the plus players on their roster: yeah. running back Zach Evans, who's already transferred to Ole Miss, and then defensive end O'Shawn Mathis, who's entered the portal but hasn't been picked up yet or hasn't made any decisions. Uh, how much of a toll is this going to take on the team as a whole, and really, how big of a deal is this? I think it's a pretty big deal. Uh, When you lose a guy who averages seven yards a carry and is, you know, probably, there's probably not an argument to be made. He's the best. He was the best player on that roster. We're just talking. I mean, Quentin Johnston's really good. Uh, But, you know, Zach's going to be an NFL first, second round draft pick if he stays healthy at Ole Miss. I think it's a big deal, especially because when we talk about the air raid, we forget that, I mean, Sonny Dykes will run the football. Yes. I mean, they, right. they ran for yes. 350. Uh-huh. They, yes, they ran yeah. over 350 yeah. yards against TCU in that win this year, whatever. They they will run the football. So I, I think Zach would have fit in really well with that offense. They have some guys on the roster with, with DiMercata mm-hmm. and Miller who can who can run and, and who played well when Zach wasn't in last year. So I think they're going to be okay. I'm one of those guys that doesn't really view running back as this glory position anymore. You mm-hmm. just kind of get guys, you put them in there, and it's more about scheme than individual skill. Your offensive line will dictate how good you are at running the football more so than your running back will, sure. in my opinion. So sure. I think it's a it's something that can be overcome. It's not the same as losing your quarterback or even losing, mm-hmm. you know, like your starting middle linebacker or 
or a corner or a defensive end. I think Mathis yeah. may be the bigger loss for this team, even though he's not as good of a player. Right. Yeah, I think so. I think that I hinted at it earlier. I mean, a lot of wind is blowing Oshawn Mathis to Texas, um, mm-hmm. especially if that Gary Patterson news comes through. It would not be surprising if he says, yeah, we need help on the O-line. Let me just bring this guy with me. Um, I believe 247 has him crystal balled 100% to Texas so far. Do you so know we'll who? See. Do you know how many sacks the leading sack get, got, getter got at Texas last year? Two. Two and a half. Oh, oh my. Ben Sims, a transfer. <laughs> like, bad. it's bad. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. Mathis would come in and really help Texas right away. How many did he have right this season? Mathis? Mathis? Yeah. Ooh, that's a good question. I did not see. More than two and a half. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, yeah, <laughs> probably more than two and a half. So, he's he's going to fit yeah, the job four. pretty well. Four. Yeah, four. Okay. Yeah. Four okay. and tw- uh, let me see. How many? Forty-five seven tackles, tackles for loss. Seven tackles okay. for loss. Nice. Yeah, four sacks. So, yeah, I mean, he'd be, a huge, sure. he'd be a huge And that was a disappointing year. I was about right, to say, that, it was, right. he, was, he was one of those guys we were looking at like, oh, that's all Big 12. Like, this is his all Big 12 year and kind of his year to kind of be that next edge rusher mm-hmm. for TCU. I don't blame the lapse in defensive line on him just because that whole unit was just so bad this year. Right. Um, but I will say, losing Oshawn Mathis does not help. Let me first of all say that. But it's right. also not hard to get better than where they were last year. They were really bad. I think the higher of, I'm trying to find, Joe Gillespie at defensive coordinator, his Tulsa defensive lines, not last year, but in 2020, were actually very good. I had some numbers up on them, if I can find them. Uh, they So his defensive line basically rated, I was on Football Outsiders, and they have like a good defensive line metric. And they're basically, they were basically like top 20 to top 30 in like standard down sack rate, passing down sack rate. And like they got to the quarterback with that defensive front. And I think, I'm not saying they're, he's going to fix it overnight, but I think he made, a, he made a smart hire in getting somebody who can kind of scheme to work with a defensive line with that had a lot of issues last year in terms of stopping the run, getting to the quarterback. They didn't do really either last year. So, right. um, again, losing Oshawn Mathis does not help that. Let me make that clear. Mm-hmm. But um, I think as a unit, it would not shock me if they're a little bit better than where they were. Yeah. Well, we'll close it out with this. What are some realistic expectations for TCU in 2022? I mean, I think Ish just hit on it. I, I'm more curious about the defensive side of the ball than the offensive yeah, side of the ball. Maybe this is too. just me kind of giving Sonny a little too much. I, I, I just assume the offense is going to be fine. I mean, like even at Cal, like he got fired from Cal and the offense was great. Yeah, the like, offense, I, I just, Sonny Dykes knows offense. Right. Like, he, he, and he's got talent there. You yep. know, Tay Barber, Quentin Johnston. You know, we talked about the running back situation. Quarterback solid. Offensive line was okay. So, I, I mean, I think offensively they're going to be okay. Here are some numbers. TCU allowed 5.8 yards a rush. They allowed 7.4 yards per play. They allowed 34 <laughs> rushing touchdowns mm. in 12 <laughs> games. That's almost three a game. Yeah. That's like that's insane. That's a lot. So for me, this is about this is as much about Sonny Dykes as it is, you know, about the recruiting staff, right? Mm. Can Samples, Carrington, and those guys who are known as like talent collectors. Yes. Can they add enough pieces on the defensive front seven specifically to stop that? Because you cannot win. And again, this goes back to what the Big 12 actually is and not what it's perceived to be. The Big 12 is a power running football conference. Mm -hmm. And if you cannot get better at that, Bajon Robinson is going to torch you. Mm -hmm. Yes. Baylor's wide zone is going to torch Mm -hmm. you. Oklahoma is going to torch you. Like those, you know, tech is coming. Mm-hmm. They're going to, you yeah. saw what they did in Mississippi State. Oklahoma State. Like Oklahoma State. Those, yeah. those teams are going to crush you if you cannot figure out the front seven. When TCU was good, 
they were super good up front. Mm -hmm. And that's going to have to change. And the only way to do that, in my opinion, looking at this roster, is to add 15 guys or so mm -hmm. on the defensive side of the ball that can come in and not just be you know starters, but can give you the depth that's required to play against teams that are going to run the ball 50 times a game. Yeah, I'm going to shout out uh, Richard Johnson from Split Zone, too, who always hints at it. Every time everybody talks about complex scheme, everybody talks about wide open offenses, all that. It's about blocking and tackling. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it is about blocking and tackling. We just saw a team win a national title. Comes down to the basics. a decent quarterback, not an elite. F yeah. They had former walk-on. Former walk-on. <laughs> Why did they win? They didn't win. No offense to him. They didn't win because of him. Right. <laughs> they yeah. had players that are better at blocking and tackling than anybody in the country. <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, take that to any program in this in this, in this this country. Uh, Texas, they couldn't block this year. What they do, they go sign their best offensive line class in forever, right? And they, they're saying, we're going we're gonna to try to fix this right away. Um, just boils down to it. You can have all the scheme you want. But if you can't block, mm -hmm. you know, we, we just talked about Max Duggan. We, we think he's really talented. You can't block for him. I don't know how much you're going to show. <laughs> so, yep. uh, yeah. Is that all we got? That Alrighty. is all I have. So, yeah, we hope you guys enjoyed this. Uh, we're not going to say who we have next because we don't know really. <laughs> so, um, we'll we'll, uh, but we'll. I have a hint. You have a hint? Yeah. Uh, go. You want to drop the hint? Go ahead. Red Bull. Oh. Okay. Well, we'll just leave that there because uh, <laughs> if you know, you know. Um, but <laughs> Mallory's shaking her head. She does not know. So I'll tell know. you off. <laughs> yeah. Tell me when uh, I push stop recording. Um, Third Ward. Huh? Third Ward. Third Ward? Oh my gosh! Oh no, Mallory. we got we have so we got to we got to get Mallory. So much education. We're, we're, guys, we're gonna I have a, we're gonna have a session with Mallory after this, or this is gonna be ESG playing in the background. <laughs> I'm so new at this. All right, so it's we will talk to you guys next week with Third Ward and Red Bull. Yeah, I'm, I'm into this. So. <laughs> We'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, make sure to subscribe, all that stuff, rate, review. Uh, tell Mallory about Third Warden Red Bull. <laughs> you can she, tweet on at me Twitter, if you want. Yes, because <laughs> she doesn't know clearly. Uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. <laughs>